Yes, you are, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Tonight, there is none like him. You know, I'm, I guess I'm getting old from the looks of it. That's a fact. But I kind of miss some of the songs we used to sing about Jesus. I'm sick of the songs we sing about our problems and how he got us through them. We've got so focused on us that we just simply forget about him. And there is none like him. While you're standing, if you want to go with me, the book of John, the seventh chapter, I will start reading in verse 50 of John chapter 7, and then I will go into John chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. Nicodemus said unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went into his own house. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And I want to speak to you for a little while tonight about Protecting your garden. The Lord bless you. you. may be seated. Before I begin tonight, let me say what a great honor it is to be here. It's just always good to be home with all of God's family and our family. And there's no really no place that you feel as comfortable as you do at home. And it's an honor to be here. And uh, it's an honor to fill in for my brother. I am not his father. I have been asked that at least a hundred times. Yeah. Back when he first started preaching, he evangelized for about 17 years and traveled all over America. And now when I show up there at those places, they want to know if that's my son. I am older than him. That's a fact. But only four years. <laughs> That's not quite enough to be a father. But it's, it's so good to be able to help my brother out. and I have such a tremendous amount of respect and love for him. I don't know of a greater preacher in Pentecost than him. I, you're right. You have a right to do that. I travel all over America, and I'm in all kinds of conferences, and I hear all kinds of preaching, and I can just tell you there's none who can preach better than your pastor. And uh, there's a reason for that. He, he's the outgoing one of all of us. You know, he, he's Mr. Personality. That's not me. That's not my nature. I've never been accused of that and probably will never be accused of it. Uh, he's had a burden for 
people for all his life. And uh, it's an honor to be able to fill in for him. You know, you can say some things about people and you're just saying it to be kind. But when I talk about my brother, I don't have to talk like that. He and I are very close. Matter of fact, all of us are. Charles is, now he's older than me. He could be my dad. (laughs) But not by much. We're only 18 months apart. And it's just so good to be with the family. There's nothing like it. I didn't really know where to go tonight. I, I came with all kinds of sermons to preach. And when Brother Landon started reading for the book of John, I knew where I needed to go. And so I just want to share a few things with you tonight. Back at the beginning of the year, actually it started at the end of last year. As I was reading the book of John, I started noticing that John uh, is putting some things in the Scripture that other writers don't place there. And some of these little phrases really don't need to be there. They're just there. And when you read them, you look at them, and one of them where the Landon read from about the Sabbath, there was really no reason for him to put that this was the Sabbath day other than the fact that he wanted people to realize that the Jews were willing to let a man suffer just so their Sabbath wasn't violated. They'd let him take his bed there every morning and lay at that pool. They weren't complaining that he arrived that day with a bed. They're complaining that he's walking away with it. So John, as he writes, he starts pointing out little things about the nature of humans and things that humans are doing. And, and he starts showing us things that are that are in the life of Jesus, that are observations. These are not things Jesus did. This is just John looking at the Scripture and thinking about what Jesus has done. And John, when he writes his gospel, has the ability to have, or he not only has the ability, he has. He's he's at the church at Ephesus, which was the, the church that was the center of religion at that time of the writing of the gospel of John. And And he has every other book or letter that has been written to the New Testament. He has every one of them in his hands. He has Matthew, he has Mark, he has Luke, he has Romans, Acts, he has 1st, 2nd Corinthians, he has Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Thessalonians. He has every one of those letters at his disposal. He he can read from them and he, he has them to draw from. And having all of that information as an old man at least 85 years of age. He's writing back to the church and he starts writing observations of things he just remembers about Jesus and things he saw that happen that if you weren't paying attention, then you would miss what he was saying. As he's writing to them, he writes to them and he shares with them that Jesus 
often did things that Jesus knew he was doing by design or purpose. Jesus was never caught unaware. There was never a moment in Jesus' life that he was not aware of, of what was going to happen in just a few moments' time. He is God in flesh, and as God, He stands in the future before you ever get there. For God to be where I'm at and where you're at at the same time, time doesn't exist because time is defined as how long it takes to get from where I am to where you're at. That's time. And if you're at both places at the same time, time doesn't exist. So God is already in the future. He's already been there. He knows what's there. He is totally timeless. He is not relegated by a clock. And Jesus, because He's God in flesh, is not relegated by men. He knew what was going to happen on the day He came back from the, from the Mount of Olives. He knew that... They have spies out looking for him. He knew that there were men searching for him because the, the Pharisee, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin has already gotten together and they're talking about, we got to do something with this man. He's, he's causing us problems. And in just a few chapters after this, John will let us know that those men reasoned that it was better that one man die for a nation than that the whole nation dies. They, they knew that he was the Messiah, but they would not accept him because he didn't come the way they thought he should come. He's a Galilean, and he's not from Bethlehem, and, and he's not from Jerusalem, so he can't offer us anything. He has nothing to offer us, but... Uh, as John writes, he's giving us some clues. He says what he's really saying is pay attention to details. Look at the details because in the details you're going to find some things about life you really ought to pay attention to. It's more than the story of the event or the story of what's happening. It's more than just reading about his life and and the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. It's more than the opening of blinded eyes. It's more than feeding 5,000 people. And that's just happened in chapter 6. He sped a multitude. And when the people that saw Jesus feed those people realized that this didn't happen by chance. There's no way you can take Two loaves or, or, or two fish and five loaves and multiply them and feed 5,000 people. This has to be a prophet. And Jesus realized that if he had not done something, they would force him to become king. So he goes to the mountain and he just escapes from them and gets away from the people. And, and there was a, a group of people of the Jews that understood and recognize he's more than a man because he has the power to perform miracles. He has the power to do all these incredible things. That's not just a man walking there. There's something about him. So they thought he was a prophet because some of the prophets of the Old Testament had the ability to do that. So they're considering he's a prophet, but he really needs to be our king. And so we're going to make him king by force. And so Jesus escapes, and he puts the disciple in a boat. He goes to the mountain, and he escapes. And, and, and John tells a story about them ditching the boat. Did you ever know that was in the Bible? The crowd 
realize that Jesus is taking a boat, so they all jump in boats and start following. And when they get to Capernaum, they find the boat that the disciples was in, but they can't find Jesus because the disciples had ditched the boat. Incredible details. So John's writing, this man Jesus did things that you and I don't pay attention to. There, there are things here that are important. You need to pay attention to the details. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 8 that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Why did he go there? Why is the Mount of Olives so important? What's so important about going to the Mount of Olives? We don't know anything he did on the Mount of Olives. Matter of fact, we're really not sure where he went. But the odds are that he had a friend that owned an olive grove on the eastern or western slope of the Mount of Olives. And in that olive grove, there was a place he could slip away and nobody would know he was there. And so... Jesus went to the Mount of It doesn't say the disciples went with him. It just says Jesus slipped away to the Mount of Olives. And that garden that's there on the side of the mountain, we later discover is called the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, that garden wasn't someplace he just went one time. It was a place that he went to on a regular basis because he understood its purpose. And, and John is trying to let all of us understand that there is a, there's this place that Jesus had that was so important to him that he guarded it to make sure that it was never desecrated. Why would this place be so important to Jesus? Because it was his place of escape. It was his place to get along and to commune and, and, and to interact with himself and, and control his human flesh that he lived in. John writes his gospel to let us know how human Jesus really was, that he was not some spirit or some emanation, but he had a body and he had flesh like you and I. And he writes to let us know that he was real and he had struggles like all of us have. He was a human being like the rest of us. But there was God living in him. And, and, and in that nature of man that had God infused, that man still needed a place of seclusion. Now, if the God that created the man that lived in it that the man that had God living in him needed a place to get away. Don't you think you and I ought to have a place that we know how to go to occasionally? And that place that we can slip away to needs to be important enough to us that we will do everything within our power to make sure it's not desecrated. Now, Jesus knows that they're going to drag a woman caught in the act of adultery into his presence. He is aware of what will happen the next day. He knows 
that they're going to bring this woman to him and they're going to demand that he give an answer. But what Jesus decided to do was to control the environment where it took place. He wouldn't let them catch him in a garden. So at daylight, at the break of day, he got up out of his garden and he went back to the city and there he walks in the temple and he sits down and he starts talking. Why is he in the temple and why is he sitting there talking? It appears he's talking loud enough and noisy enough to let all those men looking for him know where he's at. He wants them to know, I know you're looking for me, so here I am. I'm here. I'm in your house. I'm in the place you think is supposed to be holy. I, I'm in the place that you think should all these things should take place. So I'm at your house, and so he's sitting here in their house, and they drag this woman caught in the act of adultery in his presence, and they say, doesn't Moses in his law, they would not admit that the law of Moses came from God. It came from Moses. It had nothing to do with God. God didn't ordain it. God didn't write it. It's just man-made laws. Kind of sound like the world we live in today. Kind of make you a little bit aware of, of what's going on around us and, and what people are saying that you don't have to live the Bible. The Bible's not important. God really didn't mean it that way. It's amazing what we try to justify. I remember standing in a Bible college class of freshmen back in the 90s. I was teaching the life of Christ. I had 120-something freshmen sitting in front of me. And, and so I'm, I'm in the Sermon on the Mount. And I am discussing with them in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, If thy brother smite thee on the right cheek turned the other. And I simply asked the question, what do you think Jesus meant by that? About 45 minutes later, we still didn't have an answer. And they had said all kinds of things. And, 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 and there was just mumbling throughout that whole classroom. And I was going to wait and see if somebody would just dare to even make a statement about what they thought Jesus meant. And finally, a gentleman in the back piped up and said, well, I'm glad it didn't say what to do afterwards. Do you understand there's part of that Bible that bothers all of us? Your nature don't like it. My nature doesn't like it. My flesh, there are things Jesus asked me to do that, that I, I don't like. If it, it says, if my brother smite thee on the right cheek. Now, the majority of people are right-handed. If you read the statistic, I think it's about 4% of the world is left-handed. The majority of people are right-handed. So if, if somebody's going to slap me that's right-handed on the right cheek, they're going to have to stand on their head to do it. Or they're going to have to sneak up behind me and hit me from behind because for a right-handed person to get somebody on the right cheek... That's kind of impossible to do because when I'm facing you, your right hand is the opposite of me. It's on the other side. And for me to get that side of your face, i got to work at it. So I either have to slip up behind you and hit you or I have to hit you with the back of my hand. So Jesus says to them, if, if, if he does this to you, how are you going to respond? 
He said, turn the other cheek. Now, our nature don't like that. Our nature don't like praying for people that despitefully use us, do we? Well, I want to pray. I want to pray God gives me the ability to control lightning. I can fix them up real quick. I can take care of that. I will be like Peter. You know, if you just give us the ability to control lightning, Jesus, we could help you out here and we could get rid of all these people that are causing you. Just give me a little control of that stuff. And just let me tell you from personal experience, you don't want to get struck by lightning. You, you don't want that to happen. It don't feel good. I can promise you don't need to test it to see what it feels like. It feels terrible. Ask my wife. You don't want to do that. You know, it's amazing you can get struck by lightning in strange places. I'm standing on church property helping build a church and get struck by lightning. Now, how's God in all that? You think God's got a target on me and he's out to get me? It's just life. There are just things just happening. But, you know, we, we have this nature. We, we, we want to help God out. And Jesus was never caught unaware. He, he's saying, you know, there, there's some things that, that you need to pay attention to. And so he, he goes and sets down on the steps of the temple. And while he's sitting there, see, he's not a teacher unless he's seated. If he stands up, they won't listen to one word he has to say. To be a teacher, he has to be seated. So he's sitting there on the temple, and here comes the, these men that the night before said, there's nothing, there's not a prophet. You go search and look. You won't find one prophet coming out of, uh, of Galilee. There's no prophecy about Galilee. We know the book. We know what the book says. So they drag this woman and throw her at his feet and say, Okay, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? The law says stone her. And John says that Jesus just, you now he's sitting, he's seated, so he, 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 all he has to do is lean over. And he starts riding on the ground. Now where are we? We're in the temple. Okay. We're not outside. We're not by the road. See, if he was in the Mount of Olives, he could have wrote in the dirt. We're not in the Mount of Olives. We're inside the temple. And sitting in the temple, see, Jesus knew what was going to happen that day. And, and, and so he, he teaches us a principle. And I hope you don't get mad at me when I tell you this principle. But you better learn it because it's, it's gonna, it's, it affects our lives. And, and, and Jesus is sitting here in the temple, and he's riding on the dirty floor, and he's, see, the, the floor, the house wasn't important enough to keep clean. Now, here's the principle. You better not dare pass judgment on any other human being, no matter how severe their offense, if your house is not clean. You want to judge her? And you want me to sentence her to death because she committed adultery? You want me to destroy her life, but yet you don't care enough about the house to even keep it clean? You better not dare pass judgment on no human being if your house is not clean. Because the moment you pass judgment with a dirty house, 
is the day that you start searing your conscience and it will become almost impossible for God to even touch you. See, I'm afraid we got too many sheriffs in Pentecost. Uh, we, we, we're the church in Ephesus. We're, we're going to search them. We're going to make sure they're apostles. We're going to make sure that, that they're teaching the right doctrine. And we're playing sheriff instead of discovering whether or not our house is clean and our, our, our lives are clean. And, and, and before judgment can be passed, you better make sure you have a clean house. You know how you make sure you have a clean house? You've got to protect your garden. See, the first Adam didn't protect his garden. He didn't think his garden was valuable enough to protect. He didn't think his wife was important enough to protect. He didn't think that the, this beautiful creature that God created and gave to him that he was awed by, and he called her woman. He said, wow, oh, wow. He was impressed by her beauty and her loveliness. He, he wasn't. He, he just didn't think it important enough to make sure she was safe. The second Adam shows up. The first one he made out of dirt. The second one he overshadowed a woman and produced a child. And that second Adam that's called Jesus Christ, that is the, the Son of God because it is the product of the Holy Ghost overshadowing Mary and producing a child and then God living inside of that human body that we call Jesus. And that second Adam shows up and he said, that garden is the most important thing in your life and you better do everything you can to keep it safe. You better make sure you protect it. Now, I give you two jobs, Adam. You keep this garden and you dress this garden. Just keep it picked up. Don't let it get dirty. They knew that the command of God from the beginning till that time was to keep the house clean. You gotta keep your house clean. It's so easy to let life get cluttered. And I'm gonna I'm probably gonna get in trouble tonight before I'm through. I, I just read a statistic recently that's so staggering. I, I was just totally shocked by it. When, when I read it, I thought, how in the world can this how can this be? And the statistic says four out of five divorce petitions in America have a reference to Facebook. Four out of five. That's staggering. Four out of five divorces in America, the paperwork filed in courthouses, have a reference to Facebook. Why? Because we're not keeping our house safe. We're letting junk in that's causing issues and problems, and we're getting involved in things that we just, you know, we think, well, how can it really hurt? Well, it's not evil, and it can't hurt you unless it becomes the addiction you live life by. I can't understand how that, that it's so easy to spend hours connecting. That's easy to do. 
It's easy to spend hours and hours and hours connecting with, with somebody you can't even see. You don't even know if it, that's who's reading this stuff. And, and most of the time, profiles are fake and the pictures are fake. And you, we, we really don't have a clue what we're dealing with here. And, and so we're going to connect with this. And, and this is going to develop friendship. And we're going to develop companionship. And, 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 and our kids come over to our house and we can't even spend 10 minutes in conversation. Our grandkids show up and, and, and we can't spend 10 minutes our, our well, let's get a little closer. That, the, that person that lives with you shows up. And it's hard to carry on conversation. We get bored. It just, it, it's, it, it, there's, it's hard to do. Yeah, it could be. And, and, and the longer you're married, you know, you figure you, you got all the knowledge and you got it all figured out, but that's still, we got to choose to do it. It's not my nature. I can promise you, if, if, if your number is in my telephone, how many of you got a phone call from me? Now, I, the odds are I got most of your phone numbers in my telephone. I don't call my friends to find out how, how their day's going. <laughs> I, I'm not calling people to find out what's going on with their kids or their grandkids. And, 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 and you know, me and Charles, we, we, he'll call me probably once a month at the most or once every two months. We'll, we'll have a conversation, and, and it probably lasts two minutes. And, and usually if I call him, i got a problem I need solved. He calls me, he's got a problem he needs solved. And, and so we, we call one another because there are things. That's not our nature. It's not my nature. So if I'm going to do this, I got to work at doing it, and I got to choose to do it, even though my nature says I don't need to, and 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 I'm an incredibly introverted person, and I I don't care for crowds, and when I don't have something to do with the crowd, I'm not in a crowd. Okay, if I'm not preaching, I'm not part of one. I'm not socializing. I don't try to find people to have a good time. I don't need to be talking or, or seeing people or touching people to make my day complete. Matter of fact, I'm I'm pretty good company by myself. Now, as a result of that, if, if I don't work at keeping my garden protected, that lady sitting over there can really be taken advantage of. Because my nature says, ah, you don't need to do it. Not important. My nature. So I've got to choose to do it. Or i got to choose to work at it. And I'll have to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not a very good student. Ask her. I don't always do it. There's many times we'll be driving five or ten minutes with dead silence, and she'll say, what are you thinking about? I've, I just forgot that it, it's been so long with silence that that's not my nature. But if I want my garden to be safe, and I choose if it's defiled or not, that's my choice. See, Adam chose to have his garden defiled because he had to let Satan in. Satan couldn't get in without his permission. God gave him dominion over that garden. He had rulership of that garden, and he had control of that garden, and no one was allowed in without his permission. So he allows Satan into that garden. 
What, what are we allowing in our garden? What, what are we choosing to not get out or tolerate or allow to show up and, and it's there? And You know, folks, if, if you want your kids... I, I told you some things that were very personal this morning. And I, 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 I hope you'll allow me to say something to you tonight. You, brother, buddy... Thank you for what you said. I do feel comfortable to be honest here and to speak to you. I travel all over the world teaching about families. And if I don't warn you, I'm not a very good person. You don't need a devil to wreck your family. Matter of fact, I'm convinced all you need to go to hell is a family. The world's not going to send me to hell. Satan's not going to send me to hell. What's going to send me to hell is the way I treat that lady and the way she treats me and the way I treat this lady and this young man and those little kids that are there and brother, sister, and Frizzell. That's what's going to wreck my life. If I treat them with disrespect, that's what destroys lives. The way I treat my brother sitting back there, the way I treat my nieces and my nephew, my great-nephew. You know, Charles, I'm still mad at you. You know, he, he was so proud to be Grandpa 37. I said, Charles... This is not fair at all. I, your grandpa, I'm great uncle. You just made me old, old, old. I'm, I'm still got a problem with. But we, you know, I, I want to do everything I can to protect my relationship with him. I, I, I look at my my nieces and nephews that, that come around my life, and I, I'm thinking, you know, what can I do to make their world safer? And what can I do to influence them? And and and, and you know, I, I'm I'm seeing things today that bother me tremendously because you know that there's just some things that that don't seem to be important anymore. And, and for some reason, us Pentecostals are getting to the point that we feel like dress is not an issue anymore. And, and so it's, you know, it, the, the, the way we dress. And, you know, there's never been a car wreck produced by a woman driving down the street seeing a man in the front yard in a bathing suit. That has never happened, and that will never happen. There's not a lady in this room that's visual. You... you you know, it, it, what people look like don't bother you in the least bit. But there's not a man in this room that's not affected by what they look at. Now Paul said, doesn't nature teach you some things? It, doesn't nature kind of indicate to you that, that there are some things you ought to pay attention to? Nature says that the, these things cause problems. And, 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 and it does affect us. I'm, 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 I'm shocked at the way we dress our kids and make them the predators of evil people. Oh, we don't want to get behind in times, and you know, we, we, we don't want to be misfits in the world we live in. So, you know, we, we got to protect our kids and. And, so, you know, they, they need to understand what the world's about. That, that's the dumbest statement we've ever made. I don't care if they are hothouse Christian. It's better protect them from abuse than to let them be abused. 
I'm here to tell you, by example, you don't want that happening to your kids. I've struggled all my life with feeling like I was good enough for any. I I have to be as old as I am to even talk about some of these issues. How does that happen? In church, where people are supposed to be safe. So we just let walls down. Things are not as important. Victoria don't have no secrets. You drag that thing home, put it in front of your nine-year-old son, watch what happens to him. It won't take but less than two years, and he'll be in an addict to pornography for the rest of his life. And we just don't have an issue with morality anymore because we're not protecting the garden. See, the first Adam said, I, I, I don't know what happened to Adam. God gave him the most beautiful creature that he could ever have. He was awed by her. When, when God awoke him out of anesthesia and, and having removed ribs and, and brings this beautiful creature and says, okay, this is your bride, and he's, he's awed. One, one translation says, he said, wow, oh, wow, he's awed by this lady. In a garden without any kind of sin, they had problems. I love that lady back there. We've been married 41 plus years. And there, I hope I don't embarrass her. She told me I could this morning. In 41 years, she's ticked me off several times. I wasn't happy with her. But I can tell you, there was never one of those moments that I won't say, God, kill her. God, I'd like a new one. Just get rid of her. Adam did. Adam thought she wasn't important enough and was willing to stand and watch her die because he wanted something better. So the second Adam shows up and says, "Okay, that, that's you got to. There's a garden. It's called Gethsemane. You got to die in it. You see the importance of that garden. It's a place you conquer. You. It's a place you discover where you can control yourself and your wants and your ideas and your desires and your selfishness and your self-centeredness and your ego and all those things that make you what you are. There's a place you got to find where you learn how to protect." The people around you, from you. See, it's it's part of my nature. I'm task-oriented, and I can have a record that's a mile long. I, I, I can remember every detail. I can remind you of every event if I wanted to. Now, all you people that are so outgoing... You never have problems with these issues. But us people that are task-oriented, they're big issues. i got to choose to manage that. i I got to choose not to let my nature wreck everybody around me. The older I get, that's, that's the hardest job i got. It's not easy. You, you don't mellow with age. You're not tempered with time. You are tempered. You just get brittle. You, there's no elasticity or flexibility at all. If they push you far enough, you just break off at the ankles and fall over. I got to choose to do it. I, I, I got to choose to say, you know what? 
See, that woman was important to Jesus. This is the second time he has freed a woman whose lives have been wrecked. And if you don't think Jesus thought women were important, you haven't read the book. This is the second time John records. Well, first one was that woman at the well. Now we're here in the temple, and here's a woman. They say, kill her. Law says, stone her. Jesus starts writing on the ground and says, yeah, what did he write? Did he write about their sins? I, in my opinion, I think he wrote, wash me. <laughs> what I wrote. Anybody look around? What's wrong when people can't look around and understand this is not what it's supposed to be? Does it take the old songs to get us there? We quit singing about the blood. That's the most important part of our message. We, kept, we quit singing about it's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the mighty Word incarnate, the helpless sinner's friend. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. See, it's not about all this other junk. It's really about Him and and, and, and we've let our world, let our house get dirty. And, and there's a dust layer and then another. And you live with that dust long enough, you don't even recognize it's dirty. Now, why did nobody else walk in that temple? Why didn't His 12 disciples look around and say, You know, this house is not clean. How did we let our house get so dirty? How? We just let things accumulate there. See, what, what do you let in your garden? See, we let things in. I, I remember some of the issues I've dealt with in the 28 years I've dealt with people. I have never had to counsel a couple to keep them from getting divorced because of a television. But I have talked to Thousands, that's not an exaggeration. Thousands of people who had marital problems because of the internet. Why? Well, it's such an incredibly good tool, yes? Maybe it is. But it just has so many issues. And in the late 90s and early 2000s, it was Everybody's Connected, MySpace.com. And what none of us ever paid attention to is that they become the number one and number two pedophile sites of America. Where people go looking for prey, and now it has been replaced with Facebook. And they're looking for our kids. And they're looking for victims. And we just, what about my garden? See, in your garden is not only the place where you conquer you, but it's the place of prayer as well. 
So your prayer room has to be more than just a bunch of words you say to God. It has to be a place where there's an introspection and, and a reflection about me and my life. It, it's a place where, where you can pray so intently and so intensely that it will cause blood vessels to rupture and your blood will, your, your pores will seep blood because you're trying to conquer human flesh. Now, I don't know if you understand what John recorded about that event and how he described it and how it affects you and I, but that ought to give you the greatest hope in all the world. If the God that created a human body didn't conquer it the first time he prayed or the second time he prayed, but the third time he came back and said, it's finished, I paid the price, that ought to let all of us know that God that made us understands the difficulty of controlling a human spirit and getting me under subjection and bringing my nature and my will under the influence of God. See, I don't live in a world today that encourages that. You don't live in a world today that encourages you to conquer you at all. Matter of fact, your world encourages you to let you loose. Just let it loose. You, you can be anything. You've got a right to, to all these things. You've got a right to do whatever you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. You've got a right to. It doesn't matter what right you have. It's not the right thing to do. Just because I have the right to say whatever I want to say, if I said those things to her, I'd wreck her life. Words are the most damaging thing that could ever happen. I don't call my daughter stupid or my grandkids stupid. Why? Because words are deadly and my garden is more important than that. My garden is a place that there are things in it that I, I have to water, and I have to water them with words of appreciation and, and, and behaviors that indicate that I, I, I put into practice not just what I say, but I live it by my lifestyle. And I, I try to not only just say it, I try to do it. And, and it's not my nature. My, it's not who I am. I have to work at doing that. And I'm not the best student. I, I'm still working at making James the person he really should be. James could be a really evil man if he wanted to be. It wouldn't be hard. I could be so demanding. By nature, I'm a perfectionist, and I could demand you do everything perfect. By nature, I want everything done exactly right, my way, and I could wreck everybody's life around me by simply trying to make them be perfect. It's my nature. My nature is not to communicate so I could wreck everybody's life by just not connecting. But I have to choose to do it. I have to have a garden where I come in contact with James and I get honest with who James is. And I make a decision. You know what? I am going to control James and James is not going to wreck people's lives. I will not allow him to destroy someone. I had to have a conversation with James every morning. You're going to talk right. You're going to act right today. You're going to treat people with dignity and respect. You're going to, you're going to be nice to people. You're going to be kind to people. Because my nature says I don't have to. But I do have to. Jesus only let one man desecrate his garden. And that was his friend. 
And he reminded him, he, you're my friend. And he loved him. Tried to reach him. But he didn't respond. And he went to a cross and died for him. And we paint Judas with such a horrible brush. We make him such an evil man. Paul writing to the Corinthians says in the 15th chapter that there were several groups of people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. The first was Cephas, then John, then the twelve, then five hundred, then James, then me, one born out of due season. And he lists all these people. Now notice, he said Cephas, John, twelve, not eleven, twelve. You think Jesus didn't know there's only eleven left? Think Paul didn't know there's only eleven left? Do you think that was an accident by chance that, that he well that was Matthias? Matthias wasn't God's disciple. God didn't choose him. Man chose him. God chose Paul. It appears Jesus appeared to Judas after his death, trying to love him, because he was important enough to let him desecrate his garden. So he's going to show everybody how to love then I'll let them love me even if it causes me to be destroyed. I'll love them back. And then I'm going to go as far as humanly possible to let them know I love them. So he appeared to Judas. But Judas just wouldn't let him in. Where's your garden? What do we let in it? What kind of things are we allowing to affect our relationship with those we say we love? Please stand. If you will allow me tonight, I want to ask us to do altar service a little differently. You don't have to come to the front, but you do need to get out of your, out of your pew. And I want you to get with your family. I want moms and dads, children, to stand in a circle and join hands. Would you do that? Because this is your garden.